Jennifer Kennedy, the lead for quality at CHAP, and welcome to this specialty CHAP cast about age-friendly care. And um, this is specifically about uh, a learning module that we developed. It's one out of three. And I'm really excited um, that I'm here with my colleague, uh, Denise Stanford, to talk about this learning module and this exciting topic about age-friendly care. Welcome, Denise. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm excited to be here too. And I'm excited to get to interview you today, who's normally the one doing these interviews. I know this is going to be a, a, a bit of a, a flip for me, but I'll manage to get through it somehow. <laughs> I know you can do it. Well, it's been really fun to work on this project with you. Um, and as one of the project managers for our Age-Friendly Care at Home initiative, I'm definitely excited to bring this topic to our customers. You know, we've, yeah, I'm ex equally excited. And, you know, we've really worked hard, I think, on this for the last year to bring it along and bring it to a place where we can say, okay, providers out there, it's time for you to start, you know, taking a look at what this is, the benefits of it, and, you know, how you should begin to incorporate this into your daily operations to really level up the care that you're already doing. So, I mean, that's the exciting part about it, Denise, is that it's, yes, there's a bit of a learning curve, but, you know, it's it's really just um, uh, making the care better that you're already providing for older adults. And not necessarily adding more work, which is something we're going to talk a little bit more about. Exactly, exactly. So let's just dive on in. And would you tell us really what is age-friendly care and why should our providers want to incorporate this? Great question. So age-friendly care was designed by, oh, well, by or as an initiative of the John A. Hartford Foundation the Institute for Healthcare Improvement in partnership with the American Hospital Association and the Catholic Association of the United States. Wow, that's just a lot of big players coming together uh, to look at the, um, the issue of older adults who are aging out at, at, uh, at an accelerated um, level. What do I mean by that? I mean that we have baby boomers, right? We have a lot of baby boomers and they're all starting to age out and reaching that age of uh, 65. All baby boomers will be age 65 by 2030. So what that means is that we have a lot of that age group entering the healthcare continuum at the same time or in a very short period and most of them are going to need health care. You know, they either have one, two, even two or even three chronic illnesses that require um, health care management. So these um, groups that I just mentioned came together and said, wow, this is going to be a huge strain on the healthcare continuum. And we need to make healthcare um, not only uh, affordable, but we also need to make it efficient and meaningful for the patients that are receiving it. So they came together, they developed the um, uh, in, in initiative of age-friendly care that follows evidence-based practices, causes no harm. And the best part I love is it aligns with what matters to that older adult and whoever's taking care of them, a caregiver or their family. <laughs> And this concept has already been adopted um, across the country by a variety of hospital systems, correct? Absolutely. So, you know, there's a map. If you go to IHI, 
um, the Institute of Healthcare uh, Improvement uh, and look up Age Friendly Care. They have a map there that has these little dots all over it, and it shows um, the clusters of different health systems that have implemented age friendly care. And this is really an initiative, Denise, that's really picking up momentum. And I would see yeah. this, you know, it's kind of like that fire that catches and then you see more things uh, uh, popping up across the country. I really think this is going to be one of those things. It's just going to um, take a lot of um, uh, consistent promotion and education in order for people in the healthcare realm to say, wow, this is is really going to help us. It's going to help our patients. And it's something that we should probably take up and do on a daily basis. Well, it's pretty exciting to um, bring this into the realm of community-based care. So this whole initiative is about health systems. And obviously, community-based care is part of that system. So what does it look like applied to care at home? Well, we're looking at applying this framework, and that's really what it is. It's a framework that uh, focuses around what is called the four M's. It's what matters to the patient, medications, mentation, and mobility. This is an easily adaptable framework from an inpatient setting like a hospital or skilled nursing facility into the community realm. It takes a little bit of adaptation, but um, the same principles that are, are, are at work here. You know, we want to, as um, community-based providers, as home-based providers, start with, Denise, what matters to you? What do you want to happen with the care that you're going to receive? How do you want this to go? And that's that's the, the, the foundation that all of the rest of those items, those 4Ms, medications, mentation, mobility, are going to build off of is what matters to you, Denise, the patient. So why do you think we really need this? I mean, you kind of hinted on that when you were talking about baby boomers, but is there a little bit more to that? Yeah, um, we know that there, there is ageism that happens in the United States. You know, there's all types of discrimination and um, people who are older also uh, experience that type of discrimination, discrimination, which is ageism. So um, when you look at, you know, some of the studies that are out there, uh, people who are even 50 and older, we're not even talking about 65 years and older, 50 and older um, have experienced um, ageism when they have had a healthcare interaction or experience. So um, part of the initiative is looking at that ageism piece of it and um, springboarding off of um, reframing aging, which is another initiative that looks at hey, you're 65, that doesn't mean you're not a productive human being in your community or society. Uh, there is worth and there is uh, um, a, a wealth of experience and knowledge that lies within these individuals. So uh, really, ageism does um, fit into that. And uh, that, I think, how the, the whole uh, age-friendly care uh, helps to reframe that as well. Uh, if if we're reframing everything here, we're reframing what aging looks like and what ageism uh, really feels like in the healthcare continuum. 
Well, and I love this concept that this idea that ageism can also exacerbate other disadvantages that people might experience when they're um, seeking health care. So things like race and gender and other illnesses like mental illnesses, ageism can exacerbate that. Oh, absolutely. And there have been studies, Denise, that say um, people who have um, experienced this actually have a lower life expectancy because it exacerbates their um, current um, health issues. And then we add loneliness and isolation into those. Um, We don't have a good scenario for these individuals. Well, that makes it all the more exciting to have um, this coming into the healthcare realm and really, like you said, taking off more. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what the impetus for this movement was? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we know that, um, we, uh, as I mentioned, we have this um, uh, large-ish population that is aging out relatively in a short uh, amount of period. So we have volume and, you know, healthcare is not cheap and it's getting more expensive every year. So moving um, volume to value is really one of the huge, um, uh, I would say, uh, drivers for this initiative. Also looking at um, initiatives or models or um, whatever you want to call them um, that are more proactive rather than reactive, meaning that let's let's go ahead and see how we can keep you in your current maintenance state and improve if there's a way to improve instead of reacting uh, because now you've had decline, 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 and you're in the hospital, and we have to start from, uh, you know, ground zero to get you up to um, a relatively good maintenance state. So it's looking at um, being proactive and really, again, engagement with those older adults is asking them what matters to them. Um, what do they want to happen? And that really, again, um, plugs into um, the Affordable Care Act and the quadruple aim. And that was a, a model that was, well, gosh, 2010, I guess, was the Affordable Care Act that came out that was really looking at, okay, what can we do in the healthcare system that will produce uh, better outcomes, um, will improve both the uh, consumer and the clinician experience, and also lower costs for the care that's provided. So all of this sort of dovetails together. All right. Well, what really makes this different? Can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, how is this different from patient-centered care, for example? Oh, that's a great question. So when I look at this and being a clinician for many years, and you know, in the hospice realm, I, I always feel like we sort of were ground zero for patient-centered care, you know, and the rest of the continuum caught on from there. But um, this this framework is a perfect complement to patient-centered care. It, in fact, it makes you level up your patient-centered care. Um, and we know that patient-centered care comes from, you know, what matters to the, uh, uh, what does the patient want? What, uh, it, what kind of care is focused on that patient? Does the patient have um, shared decision-making? Um, all of those come with uh, patient-centered care. But I feel like this takes it um, a giant leap forward because in patient-centered care, we're, yes, 
doing shared decision-making with this patient. But in the framework of the four M's in age-friendly care, yeah, we're asking them um, what matters to them, and that's going to be um, the the driver for uh, patient-centered care. But we're also looking at, Denise, what matters to you? Let's say that you were an older adult and you had some health issues. Let's say that you have diabetes, you have some um, mobility issues, um, um, and uh, you are living on your own. So knowing that you have these things, what ma- what would matter to you as an older adult? Um, probably being able to stay in my home and continue to be able to take care of myself. Okay. So that's great. And what we do with this framework of care is that we know you want to stay where you are. We know that you want to at least keep your health where it's at so you don't have a decline. And, you know, all of these these other 4Ms, medication, if you're diabetic, you have to take medication. But let's get you the medication that is not um, uh, harmful to you in your age bracket, right? And that doesn't affect any mentation or mobility issues. Let's say that you had chronic pain also, which can come with um, as, as neuropathy with diabetes, and you had to take pain medication. Well, we would want to find medication that works for you so that it doesn't interfere with you. Let's say you want to go out and garden, right? That's your, that's what matters to you is gardening. So looking at medications that gel with keeping you out there in your garden as you know much as we can and keeping you active and mobile, uh, making sure that uh, any kind of uh, early symptoms of cognitive changes are uh, picked up right away so that we can uh, do some proactive planning uh, in terms of screening. And then uh, again, making your mobility the best that it can be so that you can get out there and garden. So I think when I, when I look at this model, I think, yes, systems and clinicians are doing parts of this model, but they're not clicking them all together into a set, into a circle that encompasses that patient and family and, you know, really gets them the goals of care that they want. So this really um, drives the care by doing really quality assessment and then deciding what to act on based on those four M's. Yeah, absolutely. We can't um, we can't do any uh, care planning until we assess. And the plan of care for um, each and every patient is going to be based on what matters to them. Yes, we're going to assess physical assessment and emotional and psychosocial. We're going to do all of those. But the driver is what matters. Denise wants to garden. So that's what matters. And that's what we're going to look at as sort of our shining North Star when we develop your individual plan of care. This is going to be my goal now when I'm 65 is to learn how to garden because of you. Oh my gosh, I'll be gardening right next to you. I'll come and garden with you. <laughs> Great, good. Well, let's talk a little bit more aside from you know just what that might look like based on me, but what does the age-friendly care really look like? What what is the uh, current popular approach right now? So when we're looking at the original development of the Sage Friendly Care Initiative, it's um, taking the focus away from um, uh, 
you know, illness. Oh, how is the illness going to drive you down rather than how can we look at the illness and give you tools and resources and treatment to keep you on an upward path or a maintenance path? So it's a focus on wellness rather than on illness. And it's, um, that's a complete opposite because you go in and people are like, all right, what's wrong with you? Um, where are your weak spots? You know, what are we going to treat? And they're not really saying, well, let's see, Denise or Jennifer, what are your strengths and how can we promote those strengths with evidence-based practice treatment? It's, it's a flip, if you will, um, from what I think clinicians are used to doing. So Jennifer, you had developed for for this module, which is available to our listeners through the CHAP Education site, you had developed a case study of Mrs. Chase. Would you mind just kind of walking us through this Mrs. Chase's case study? Yeah, Mrs. Chase. Love Mrs. Chase. Now we're um, framing this in the um, uh, in the scope or view or lens uh, of home-based care. So when we're looking at Mrs. Chase, she's an older adult. She um, has some health issues. She lives alone. Um, she takes some medication. Um, she doesn't use any kind of ambulatory assistance devices. She does have some children, but they don't live close to her. And um, she has uh, a relatively short uh, sleeping cycle. Um, she She's always been that way, but... Um, in terms of uh, her sleep, she's maybe averaging about six uh, hours per night. So when we look at Mrs. Chase, um, she's got heart failure as her primary diagnosis, and she does have diabetes. When we ask Mrs. Chase what matters to her, she's fiercely independent. She just turned 73. She um, had a recent hospitalization uh, for pneumonia, uh, and she's very upset that she had to go to the hospital. She didn't want to go to the hospital because why? She's fiercely independent. She um, is very dedicated to her personal life, meaning that she likes to cook. She likes to do pottery. In fact, she's in a pottery co-op. And those things are really um, important to her. So when we ask Mrs. Chase what her matter, uh, what matters to her is that she wants her heart to be in a good place that she can do her pottery at the co-op. She can cook um, and volunteer for some of the cooking programs that she participates in. She wants to keep her mobility um, at a level where she doesn't need to use an assistive device. Also, she wants to uh, not add medications. She wants to, she doesn't like to take medicine. Um, which, you know, that's true of a lot of uh, a lot of people, but she doesn't want to add medicine. So she wants to manage her regime where um, it's uh, it feels not overwhelming to her and that her medicines aren't taking over her life and her daily um, her daily day. So knowing what matters to Mrs. Chase is going to help the clinicians that are working with her um, help her and guide her. Uh, or them really to frame the outcomes for her care and develop her individualized plan of care. 
in, in terms of knowing what matters for her, she wants to be independent. She wants to participate in her activities. We're going to, um, as clinicians, take a look at uh, using medications for treatment that don't interfere with what matters to her. We're going to screen her for cognitive impairment. Um, that is something um, that you would do, a good clinician would do on a regular basis if there are any cognitive changes or if we're seeing any signs and symptoms of depression. And um, we want to make sure that Mrs. Chase is moving safely, even though she doesn't like to, you know, use, she has a cane, she has a walker, she doesn't like to use them, um, making sure that she's safe when she walks, um, uh, wherever she walks. So, you know, using this approach to look at all of these things as connected um, pieces really it took me a while to get there as, as a nurse. I'm like, mm, yeah, okay. But then it, over time, I'm like, oh yeah, this really makes sense because um, we want to make sure that we're looking at all the pieces at, together and not separately because um, our, our coworker, Dr. Kai Owen, likes to describe the four M's as making a cake, right? So if we're making a cake, we need several ingredients to get the outcome of cake. If we're just having flour or sugar or eggs on their own, eggs do not cake make, right? So we have to have all of these things together to have a delicious cake at the end. And that's kind of, if you think of that metaphor of looking at the four M's as the ingredients that go into the cake and the patient's outcomes as the cake, it kind of makes more sense. Yeah. It actually seems like such a reasonable and um, obvious approach when you think of it from this perspective and you're, you're thinking about Mrs. Chase and her scenario. Um, so let's, what are the benefits of using this approach? I think there's are tremendous benefits. You know, first of all, from, um, from a clinical status, this whole initiative and, and the forum framework has been based on evidence-based methodology. So we know that it is sound and we have the, the data and the, the uh, information to back it up. So it's not just, Hey, um, maybe we should do this. We have the, the tools and the resources to back up the practice. Also, um, we have a, an, a more intense, um, level of shared decision-making and collaborative goal-setting that is going to be occurring between the patient and the clinician or the clinician team. I have read studies now, not at the home-based level, because we're just kicking that out the door and getting it out there and trying to get it active, but at the um, at the system level, there have been um, improvements in patient and family care experiences. So we're talking about CAPS assessment scores, right? This also, as you know, we mentioned ageism a, a few minutes ago, uh, adopting this type of uh, uh, an application to your everyday um, operations, whether they be clinical or administrative, is going to help um, up your health equity and disparity initiatives as well, because we know that age is one of those social determinants of health. Also, I really see this as um, a way for you to partner uh, with organizations out in your community. You asked me uh, about how many people or systems are doing this in the United States, and I talked about the map, and there are a lot of clusters on the map. Wouldn't it be great 
for you as a home-based organization to go to your system in your community that you know is already doing age-friendly care and saying, hey, we do it too. And we want to partner with you so that we have that clean continuum, consistent continuum when patients um, come from inpatient out to post-acute. can be a real differentiator for our our community-based care providers. I think it will give them a foot up actually over someone who uh, wasn't invested in applying age-friendly care. Well, as we've mentioned, the this learning module and two other learning modules are available as on-demand coursework through our CHAP education account. Um, and we plan to do a couple more podcasts that will cover our um, other two modules as well. So the module two is going to really be focused on that framework and applying those 4Ms to care. Is there anything else you want to say in review or in closing for today? No, I just, I mean, I got tongue-tied a few times because I'm so excited about this, this this whole um, this whole project and uh, that it's actually something that can come out to community-based care, to home care, to hospice. And um, I would just encourage people, hey, just take off your c- clinician coat or scrubs or whatever for a moment and um, look at it with a thoughtful kind of um, approach because it may not make sense the first time around, but as you look at it and you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Yes, it really does. And it's really funny because um, I've been working here almost two years now, and this is actually one of the first things that our medical director, as you mentioned, Dr. Wynn, talked to me about when I started working here. So it's nearly two years in the making for me, and I am so excited to see it really launching And I think it's going to bring so much value for our providers and for the healthcare system as a whole in general. So um, thank you so much for letting me be part of your podcast today and bringing this special episode to our customers. Thanks, Denise. And thanks, everybody out there for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen about age-friendly care Uh, from all of us at CHAP. Thanks for all you do. 